Today's episode references events that happened in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. For the full story behind those phenomena, check out our four-part legacy special on Roswell that aired across conspiracy theories and unexplained mysteries. In 1983, UFO researcher Bill Moore was in a bind. He was working on a documentary about Roswell, but it wasn't going well at all. Looking for a sounding board, Moore called up one of his most esteemed colleagues, fellow UFO researcher Brad Sparks. Sparks was well-respected in the community, known for his thorough research and thoughtfulness. Moore told Sparks about the problems he'd been having. For over a year, he'd been trying to find new leads on Roswell and kept coming up short. He felt like he'd hit a dead end. If the documentary was ever going to see the light of day, he said, he needed to catch a break or do something drastic. Sparks listened as Moore continued. He'd been thinking about what it would take to get new witnesses to speak publicly about what they'd seen in Roswell. The alleged alien crash had taken place decades ago. If someone hadn't spoken up yet, they were likely afraid or thought no one would believe them. But Moore had an idea. He could make Roswell conspiracy theories seem more tenable by creating a fake government document. As he outlined the details of his proposal, Sparks' jaw dropped. If done correctly, Moore's plan could reframe the way Americans viewed the UFO community for generations to come by casting them in a more positive, credible light. Or it could totally undermine all support for their cause. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes... It's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on a mysterious organization called Majestic 12, or MJ-12. It was a top-secret group of a dozen experts who reported to the Oval Office on paranormal events, including the 1947 Roswell crash, or so a trio of men claimed. Last time, we learned about the Majestic 12 through the eyes of documentary producers and ufologists Jamie Chanderay, Bill Moore, and Stanton Friedman. We talked about how they found this mysterious set of government papers, the links they went to verify them, and the strange anonymous messages they received along the way. This episode, we'll explore the public reaction to the papers once they were released, 
and the suspicions that mounted while trying to verify them. Then we'll explore three major conspiracy theories involving MJ-12, including a very bizarre potential connection between Bill Moore and the U.S. government. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. In 1987, UFO researcher Bill Moore surprised everyone by releasing excerpts of a top-secret document to the public. It was the MJ-12 Papers, a clandestine document about the 1947 Roswell incident, and it contains something for everyone, even non-UFO enthusiasts. As a result, the MJ-12 story quickly made its way into the mainstream. And the U.S. government was not pleased. The FBI and the Air Force Office of Special Investigations launched dual investigations into the legitimacy of the claim. Eventually, in 1988, the organizations concluded formally that the papers were fake. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number one. The MJ-12 papers were completely and utterly bogus, and the organization never existed. Plenty of people were suspicious of Bill Moore's findings, but the most scathing critic of the MJ-12 papers was a man named Phil Klass, an American journalist who'd been researching and debunking UFO sightings for years. Some called Klass the, quote, Sherlock Holmes of ufology, Class was sympathetic to those who spotted UFOs, but discerning. In his experience, 
He believed most people who reported UFO sightings were, quote, fundamentally intelligent, honest people who were nearly always mistaken in what they claimed to see. In a report published in The Skeptical Inquirer, a bi-monthly American magazine, Class examined every aspect of the MJ-12 papers. In his eyes, they had to be fraudulent. First, Class noted the grammatical and numerical inconsistencies in the so-called government document, because there were a lot. Federal and military officials need to be meticulous about the way their documents are formatted. For example, the Air Force has a specific way of writing the time and date. That style is expected to remain consistent across every single page that passes through the organization. And that's exactly where the problems with the MJ-12 papers began. When Class looked through archival military paperwork, he saw how they wrote dates in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. The format started with the day, then month, then year. For example, November 9, 1949, would appear as the numerical number 9, followed by the word November and ending with the numerical year, 1949. But when Class compared these documents to some of the MJ-12 memos, he saw there was a zero used as a placeholder in the tens place for any numerical day of the month below 10. So November 9th, 1949 would read 09 November 1949. It was a slight discrepancy, but Class was trained to spot these details. And after locating it, he decided to re-examine his entire correspondence history with Bill Moore. As two prominent members of the UFO community, Class and Moore had exchanged letters on various occasions. When Class looked back at these exchanges, he found something strange. For years, Moore had dated his letters to Class without that zero in the tens place. But from 1983 onward, Moore's letters included a zero at the beginning, just like the dates on the MJ-12 memos. There were other details about the MJ-12 papers that stuck out to Class too like President Truman's alleged contributions. On one hand, Class believed the president's signature on the MJ-12 papers looked authentic. On the other hand, Class felt that the tone of Truman's writing didn't match how he spoke in real life. Truman was famous for his candor. For example, when explaining his decision to fire General MacArthur during an interview in the 1960s, Truman reportedly told biographer Merle Miller, quote, I didn't fire him because he was a dumb SOB, although he was, but that's not against the laws for generals. If it was, half to three quarters of them would be in jail. Truman's presidency was defined by this off-color, off-the-cuff language. But in the MJ-12 papers, Truman's language was unusually formal. One page suggested he wrote these words, quote, it continues to be my feeling that any future considerations relative to the ultimate disposition of this matter should rest solely with the office of the president, following appropriate discussion with yourself, Dr. Bush, and the director of Central Intelligence. Between the dates and Truman's tone, Class felt something was off. 
The signature may have looked real, but by the 1980s, it wasn't hard to forge a signature with a Xerox machine. Of course, this evidence wasn't enough to prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the MJ-12 papers were counterfeit. Soon, though, Klaus uncovered a bigger issue, one which couldn't be explained away. There was something wrong with the very piece of paper that Moore, Chandere, and Friedman believed proved the existence of MJ-12, the infamous Cutler-Twining memo. Like many UFO enthusiasts, Class was fascinated by this memo when Moore first released it to the public. As we covered last time, it was allegedly written by White House Special Assistant Robert Cutler in July of 1954. The document explicitly referenced a meeting between the president and a military general that discussed MJ-12. But Class knew that every document Cutler worked on had a signature eagle watermark, and the Cutler-Twining memo did not have that watermark. And this wasn't even the biggest issue with the memo. Cutler wasn't physically in the White House at the time the document was allegedly written. In fact, he wasn't even in the country. Through Class's research, he was able to confirm that Robert Cutler left D.C. on July 3, 1954, to visit military facilities overseas. He didn't return to the White House until July 15th. Cutler's absence was a damning blow to the MJ-12 paper's legitimacy, and the documentary team who supported the papers knew it. Stanton Friedman tried to excuse this discrepancy with an administrative explanation. He said Cutler's deputy, a man named James Lay, took over some of Cutler's duties while he was gone. These responsibilities included writing memos and sending them out on behalf of Cutler. It may seem like a plausible explanation, But Class debunked this claim by pointing to another top-secret memo written on the same day as the Cutler-Twining memo. James Lay had signed and dated this document with his own name, not Cutler's. It wouldn't make sense for Lay to sign one top-secret memo with his own name and to write another top-secret memo as Cutler on the same day. As the story behind the Cutler-Twining memo started to unravel, Class made one more observation that dealt a decisive blow to its credibility. There was another important detail missing. Moore, Chandere, and Friedman claimed they found the Cutler-Twining memo in Box 189 at the National Archives. In his report, Class explained how every other paper in that box was stamped with a register number, which essentially acted as labels for housekeeping purposes. Registration numbers allowed administrative workers to track the documents that passed through the archives. But the Cutler-Twining memo didn't have one. Through his research, Class had seemingly proven it was all a hoax. After his report on the MJ-12 papers came out in the winter of 1987, the rest of the UFO community slowly started to turn against Moore, Friedman, and Chandray's work. A well-known organization in the UFO community, called the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, publicly slammed the MJ-12 papers, calling them, quote, clumsy counterfeits. 
Another UFO organization called Citizens Against UFO Secrecy released an entire newsletter issue dedicated to the MJ-12 papers. They accused the story of being, quote, a grand deception, a giant black eye on the face of ufology. It seems undeniable that some aspects of the MJ-12 papers were faked, if not all of them. I can also understand why so many people, even well-respected members of the UFO community, might have missed these small discrepancies originally. That said, I still found all the work that those three men did incredibly compelling. As we covered last time, they proved so many connections between the members of MJ-12. For example, all of that research into Dr. Menzel, another member of MJ-12. Menzel's secret consulting work for the government was never fully explained. That's true, especially since Moore, Chanderay, and Friedman were sent that clue that hinted they should examine Box 189. It may have been cryptic, but it was accurate. However, we can't deny the fact that Cutler wasn't even in the country on the date he would have allegedly written that memo, which is a very strong argument that the papers aren't credible. For me, on a scale of 1 to 10, this theory is a 4. I'd have to agree. Class's work definitely offers a strong argument against these papers being legitimate. From the various clerical discrepancies to the response of the ufology community, I'd give this theory a five. Even if the MJ-12 papers were proven to be completely fake, that still doesn't answer the one question everyone has about the papers. Who orchestrated the hoax and why? Coming up, an unlikely partnership between a UFO researcher and an Air Force official. They say time heals all wounds, but sometimes time can do anything but. Welcome to Cold Cases, the new Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Carter Roy. Every Monday, join me as I revisit the clues and miscues of some of the most elusive criminal cases in history. From burglary and arson to kidnappings and murder, each episode of Cold Cases explores the many types of crime, the many ways they remain unsolved, and how long it takes to find the answers, if ever. Will justice be served? Only time will tell. Follow Cold Cases free and only on Spotify. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, back to the story. Given what we've discussed so far, the Majestic 12, or MJ-12, papers were intentionally created as a hoax. But if that's true, who fabricated them? The answer may lie in the men who initially discovered the paperwork, 
researcher and ufologist Bill Moore, filmmaker Jamie Chanderay, and nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman. These three men were responsible for years of research on the MJ-12 papers. You'll remember from last time, Chanderay received the roll of film in the mail. Moore received that strange postcard that led them to the Cutler-Twining memo, and Friedman was their guiding voice. He advised both men and provided research to help them unlock the so-called secrets of the papers. But there was also one more man involved in this story from the start, even if he didn't appear to be in the trio's inner circle, Richard Doty. As we know, Bill Moore collaborated with Doty on and off since the early 1980s. Officially, Doty worked for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. But unlike many of his co-workers, Doty had a soft spot for the UFO community, and he wasn't exactly discreet about it. Doty once wrote a report regarding a series of unidentified lights seen in Albuquerque, New Mexico, suggesting they were the result of extraterrestrial activity. It's worth noting here that our four-part special on Roswell goes in-depth on Doty's strange double life. It was a bit of an open secret among the UFO community that Doty and Moore used each other as sources. With his access as a government official, Doty allegedly provided Moore with top-secret memos and government documents for Moore's research. In turn, Moore was said to have provided Doty with information about the UFO community. Given the convenience of their relationship, many believe they may have worked together to pull off the hoax, meaning a government official may have helped forge a government document. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Bill Moore and Richard Doty worked together to create and then release the MJ-12 papers in order to coax other potential Roswell witnesses out of the woodwork. When renowned UFO debunker Phil Klass was working on an article about the MJ-12 papers, something about the origin story of the documents didn't sit right with him. As we discussed last time, a roll of film was dropped off in an anonymous package at producer Jamie Chanderay's doorstep in 1984. Once developed, the film showed photos of the alleged MJ-12 briefing. Class couldn't understand why the package would have been dropped off at Chanderay's house. After all, Chanderay wasn't a ufologist. He was a fledgling filmmaker. Bill Moore was usually the one reaching out to sources. It would make more sense to deliver the package to him, as the already established go-between. But maybe someone used Chanderay, a UFO community outsider, to build credibility for this document. And Moore and Chanderay were working on a film together at the time. The fact that the package was postmarked from Albuquerque seems like a non-issue, until you consider the fact that Bill Moore also lived in California with Jamie Chanderay. If Moore had his collaborator Richard Doty send the package instead, Chanderay would have no reason to suspect it came from anyone they knew. Plus, he probably wasn't aware that Doty was stationed in New Mexico at the exact time the package was sent. It wasn't just those strange deliveries that made Moore and Doty look suspicious. 
there were certain aspects of the pair's backstory that made their involvement with MJ-12 seem extremely conspicuous. On his own, Moore had made public comments in the past that seemed almost to predict the MJ-12 papers. For example, at a conference, the researcher gave a speech about the government's potential involvement with UFO recoveries. The speech was standard fare for Moore at the time, but in retrospect, there are parts of it that feel a bit unbelievable. In it, Moore stated that if any government officials were tasked with hiding the truth about UFOs, then someone like Dr. Vannevar Bush would be involved. As we mentioned last time, Dr. Bush was one of the men listed as a member of MJ-12. He was also the head of the U.S. Office of Scientific Research and Development during World War II. Moore had no apparent personal or professional connection to Dr. Bush, so it was pretty strange that he would explicitly mention Bush in a speech, only to later receive information from an anonymous source that confirmed this unsubstantiated theory. The Bush reference was definitely odd, but it didn't definitively prove that Moore intentionally faked the papers. That said, in the 1990s, several years into the public debate over MJ-12, someone came out of the woodwork with shocking information about Moore's past. The man's name was Brad Sparks, a well-known researcher in the UFO community, and he said he had been harboring a massive secret about Bill Moore for a decade. In the early 1980s, Sparks allegedly had a strange conversation with Moore. He claimed they'd discuss Roswell and the potential benefits of creating counterfeit government documents. Sparks wasn't convinced and found the conversation unnerving. He'd tried to put it out of his mind entirely. Years later, when the MJ-12 papers were released, though, Sparks realized it was time to speak out. He reached out to Phil Class. Sparks told Class that a year before the papers were released in 1983, Moore asked for his opinion about a strange plan Moore had been considering. According to Sparks, Moore told him that he was working on a Roswell documentary with a filmmaker but they kept coming up short on information. They didn't have enough new material to create something really compelling. For a topic as heavily examined as Roswell, they needed new witnesses. Ideally, a handful of people who would give exclusive interviews. Moore was certain those people were out there somewhere. They just needed a reason to speak up. Moore supposedly explained that he was thinking about creating counterfeit government documents about Roswell. He thought if there was more alleged proof, it might encourage people to come forward. Sparks was horrified by the idea. They were, after all, two highly respected UFO researchers. This was the kind of deceit that could ruin a career, and he wanted no part in it. Sparks begged Moore to reconsider. Moore said he'd think about it, and the men went their separate ways. As the years passed, Sparks thought very little about that conversation. He chalked it up to a moment of weakness for Moore. People said strange things in the UFO community all the time, but didn't always act on them. 
But when the MJ-12 papers were released in 1987, Sparks realized Moore had followed through on his plan. Sparks' information wasn't just shocking. It was full of leads that a seasoned researcher like Phil Klass had no trouble following. Klass looked into Moore's relationship with Richard Doty, and it didn't take much time for him to find something big. According to Klass, the term MJ-12 first appeared in a secret document that Richard Doty gave to Moore in early 1981. That document doesn't appear to be publicly available, but Klass described it in his newsletter as a, quote, one-page secret teletype message involving UFO photos. From that description alone, there are obvious similarities between this paper and the MJ-12 papers that Moore and Chanderay claimed to find three years later. And unlike that strange reference to Dr. Bush that Moore made in a speech, this is the type of event that couldn't be explained away as mere coincidence. It was clear that Doty's document had laid the foundation for what would come later. Moore had even referenced this document in his conversation with Sparks in 1983, according to Class. It seemed like the truth was finally coming together. Doty and Moore had all the skills necessary to make a decent forgery of a top-secret document. Moore had all the expertise to know all the right details about Roswell to include in order to entice the public, and Doty had an insider's understanding of government bureaucracy. If they did fake those documents, though, they were also responsible for a number of sloppy errors, like the lack of a register number for the Cutler-Twining memo and the inconsistent dating style on the papers. Ten years after he released his first scathing critique of the MJ-12 papers, Class released another report which contained all of his findings about Doty and Moore's relationship. It turned the UFO community even more firmly against the papers, but neither Doty nor Moore ever admitted to forging the MJ-12 papers. As we mentioned in part one, the trio of men who worked together to research the MJ-12 papers disbanded almost immediately after those papers went public in 1987. Jamie Chandray basically disappeared, and he doesn't seem to have created any films or given any interviews in the decades since his involvement with MJ-12. Stanton Friedman continued his career as a UFO researcher and author, he never stopped affirming the MJ-12 papers were real, but whether that's because he actually believed they were, or he felt he needed to defend them in order to keep his career afloat is unclear. As for Bill Moore, he never admitted to forging the papers, but he did make a strange statement later that only made people more interested in his involvement with them. We'll touch on that soon. There's definitely a lot of strong evidence that Moore and Doty were in on some sort of plan to fabricate a document. But the real question for me is whether Chanderay and Friedman were in on the plan too, or if they were duped along with everyone else. It's an interesting point. For someone like Jamie Chanderay, it seems plausible that he might not be aware of all the strange inconsistencies in the MJ-12 documents, he didn't have a background in ufology, after all, and he wasn't a professional researcher. But Friedman was both, which makes me think he would have seen straight through a hoax from the beginning. 
I'm not sure that's giving Shandere enough credit. These men were working together for years on a Roswell documentary, after all. That's true, and it seems like everyone associated with the documentary wanted to get it made. However, given how much more stood to lose in regard to his reputation in the UFO community, it's unclear if he'd risk supporting phony research just to see the film through. I'm a little more convinced that they tried to fabricate the papers and something went sour. Moore probably would have never admitted to forging them under any circumstances. And while we know Friedman remained adamant that they were real, I still think there's a world where some, if not all, of the men worked out a plan to save their stalling documentary by making a huge splash with new witnesses. For me, this theory is a seven. Moore's alleged conversations with Sparks certainly indicate he was considering some type of stunt. I'd give this theory that Moore and Doty forged the papers an eight. It seems like the relationship between Bill Moore and Richard Doty remains one of the most confusing and bizarre parts of the Majestic 12 story. And there might be more to it than we know. It's possible they were acting on orders totally outside the scope of the documentary. Coming up, the possibility that the MJ-12 papers were fabricated at the request of the U.S. government. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, back to the story. In the wake of the very public criticism of the MJ-12 papers, neither Richard Doty nor Bill Moore ever admitted to fabricating the documents. But two years later, in 1989, Moore did make a very surprising confession at a conference. And if it's true, then it turns this whole story on its head. Moore claimed that what he'd done in his UFO research was actually the work of a double agent. He admitted to spreading false information on behalf of the Air Force. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number three, that Moore and Doty fabricated and released the MJ-12 papers on behalf of the U.S. government. It's not unusual for a UFO conspiracy theory to point a finger at the government. In fact, nearly all of them do in some capacity. But what is strange about this particular theory is that the government had already exhibited uncharacteristic behavior in its response to the MJ-12 papers. In 1988, the FBI conducted a full investigation into the papers. And at the end of the inquiry, An FBI official took the time to write, 
bogus in capital letters across the pages of the document. From one angle, this makes sense. The government saw a document they knew to be fake and wanted to make it clear that it was fabricated. But from another perspective, it looked like pretty unusual behavior for the U.S. government. It seemed like overkill. Why would they get so deeply involved in what was allegedly just another fake UFO story? Keep in mind, the government has to engage with hundreds, if not thousands, of conspiracy theories and false accusations every year, many of which get a decent amount of press and attention. Rarely do any of these strange conspiracy theories ever receive an active response from the government. But this time, with the MJ-12 papers, the FBI took the time to not only engage, but take a very clear stance on them. We also mentioned in part one that Richard Doty had a pretty conspicuous exit from his Air Force base in the late 1980s. First, he was transferred to Germany. Then, while in Germany, he was accused of faking government reports and failing a lie detector test, both of which he denied. From what we know, this didn't have anything to do with the MJ-12 papers, but it does indicate there was likely some deceit in his past. Doty had left the Air Force and was working as a private investigator in New Mexico. Both Doty and Moore spent the rest of their lives living under a cloud of suspicion. And yet, what really sends this conspiracy theory over the edge is what happened 10 years later in an interview between Doty and a journalist. After refusing interviews for years about his involvement with MJ-12, for reasons he never explained, Doty agreed to speak with journalist Phil Patton in the late 90s. Patton wondered if it bothered Doty the way people speculated about his involvement. Doty responded by saying, quote, I don't worry about it. People can think what they want to think. The truth is known by those that matter. He also said he didn't want to talk about those papers at all. But apparently, after that phone interview ended, Doty had a change of heart. He called Patton back. This time, he said he did want to talk about the papers. On the second call, Doty said, quote, We did not fabricate any of the papers. I have been investigated and cleared. Doty also confirmed that Bill Moore was, quote, a low-level source for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Moore's confession about being a double agent and Doty's interview inspire a strange possibility. Both of them walked a fine line in their comments. They maintained that they didn't create the MJ-12 papers, yet they also confessed to participating in some sort of larger deception. Which opens up the possibility that someone else gave Moore and Doty the fake papers and assigned them the task of spreading the papers around. Someone like a government official. Doty's history with the Air Force certainly seems to support this theory. He was caught on more than one occasion spreading misinformation and amplifying strange UFO conspiracy theories. As the Roswell special episodes explained, Doty said it was his job to do this. He was often tasked with helping the Air Force gaslight civilians who'd seen a top-secret aircraft mission. 
A lot of these people saw strange lights in the sky, and Doty encouraged them to think they were UFOs. According to Doty, his career was spent confusing everyday people about what was real and what was true. In one documentary, Doty alleged that 80% of the information ufologists like Moore and Friedman had access to was intentionally false. And as we pointed out, Doty was one of Moore's sources for quite some time. This certainly seems to implicate Doty even further in the MJ-12 mess, and it also lends some explanation to Stanton Friedman's role in all this. If Doty's job was to intentionally confuse and compel people in the UFO community, then maybe he could have fooled someone as experienced as Stanton Friedman. Doty's role also lends more context to Moore's confession that he was acting as a double agent for the Air Force. Consider it this way. If the government wanted to intentionally mislead the UFO community, they'd first have to know which theories the community latched onto. That way, it would be easy for someone like Doty to nudge a person in the direction he wanted them to go. In other words, the Air Force might have been using Moore to learn how to manipulate the UFO community to its will, and Moore might not have been fully aware of what was happening. Doty and Moore could have acted on a plan together with two totally different motives. Moore wanted to create a good documentary, and Doty wanted to spread misinformation. In the end, neither got what they wanted. UFO debunkers like Phil Klass have long noted the strange, mutually beneficial relationship between the government and the UFO community. This is, apparently, one of the reasons why Klass has such a sympathetic view of people who claim to see UFOs. He understands there's a lot of manipulation at play. These stories highlight an important idea. Sometimes, people really do see strange lights in the sky. And if the explanation for these lights isn't readily available, or if the lights came from a top-secret military experiment that the government will never admit to, then it might be classified as just another alleged UFO sighting. In these situations, the government and the UFO community both win. The government gets to keep top-secret military projects under wraps, and the UFO community gets a flutter of interest in their favorite subject. In his phone interview with journalist Phil Patton, Doty acknowledged the reality of this mutually beneficial relationship. He even went so far as to confirm that the Air Force Office of Special Investigations ran explicit deception programs in the past, which used UFO conspiracy theories to cover up military operations. Doty said, quote, I've never worked on any, but there have been some. It's called legitimate lying. The idea that the government was behind some, or even all, of the various documents that became what we know as the MJ-12 papers is pretty incredible. But with Moore's sudden confession and Doty's unusual career, the evidence is compelling. I do wonder why Moore decided to make this confession when he did, since he was silent for a long time about his role in the papers, but perhaps that was because he was under orders not to speak out. I give this theory a 7 out of 10. It is very interesting. 
But I wish there was more evidence for why the government would want to push a story as big as the MJ-12 papers. It directly implicated so many former government workers, and I can't imagine they'd want to deal with that type of fallout. Plus, it would help if there was evidence of what, exactly, the government might have wanted to distract the American people from, if these papers were, in fact, a distraction technique. Since we can't say for certain on either point, I'd give this theory a 5 out of 10. If anything, stories like this are proof that the government's relationship to the UFO community is more than meets the eye. And perhaps more importantly, these theories remind us that there's always something taking place in the world that the government might not want us to know about. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Balsic. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Caroline Burke, edited by Mallory Cara and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checked by Anya Barely, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Kotovich. Conspiracy Theory stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Hi, I'm Carter Roy, host of the Spotify original from Parcast, Cold Cases. From burglary and arson to kidnappings and murder, explore the many types of crime, the many ways they remain unsolved, and how long it takes to find the answers, if ever. Catch a new episode of Cold Cases every Monday. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.